Hey, so one of the joys I have about being a pastor here at Renaissance is I get to hear uh, and, and read through all of the prayer requests and all of the things that are going on in your lives. Uh, some people, like Rob, are praying for the Mets to win a World Series. And Rob, you might be, you might be on your way to that so far this year. Hey, but other people uh, have much more pointed prayer requests. And one of the things that we see over and over and over again is the biggest reason why you're here today. Like, why did you get out of your nice, warm, snuggly bed with the sheets that were wrapped around you, so much so it probably feels like your bed and you are soulmates? <laughs> hey, what made you get out of your bed t today? One of the things that we see over and over in your prayer requests and one of the things that I hear over and over in our conversations is, listen, you want to grow stronger. You don't want to be in the same place next year as you're in today. You want to have more faith. You want to be stronger. You want to be able to make those good decisions. Uh, you want to be able to kick that habit, get that person out of your life, welcome new people into your life. You want to be built strong. Hey, so for the next uh, number of weeks, we're going to be walking through a series called Built Strong. And what does it look like for, for us to be the type of people that could grow and be more mature? Now, even if you're brand new to Renaissance, you might be brand new to church uh, in general. Hey, I bet you even one of your goals is that you want to be stronger. Even if with all the questions that you have, uh, you want your faith to be stronger. Hey, but there's a couple of obstacles that we see, uh, and we're going to be unpacking these for the next number of weeks. Because ultimately, uh, one of the things that we believe about being built strong is that it never happens in isolation. I said this quote before, and I, and I mean it with all of my heart, that our walks with God might be personal, but they're never individual. Your walk with God, your journey towards Jesus, your, your, your destination of growth. Listen, your walk with God is personal, absolutely, but it's never individual. So much so that there's this phrase in the New Testament, uh, if you allow me to dust off my semester of New Testament Greek, it's this word called alelon. I practiced that for like six hours, actually. Now, this word, alelon, is used over 100 times in the New Testament, and it's this word that basically means one another. And over and over and over and over again, you see this command in Scripture, one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to confess your sins to one another. And about 100 times throughout the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and so many people, they use this phrase, one another. So here's what they're assuming about me and you. They're assuming that your life and my life is spent with time around one another. That it's impossible to practice the Christian life. It's an impossibility to, to grow in our, faiths, in our faith if we're not around one another. So we come to uh, a couple of things in the scripture. Um, and, and you see the life of the apostles and you see the life of the earliest Christians, even in Acts uh, and you see in Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that their lives were spent so much together, that there was a daily ritual in which they spent their lives, and they were encountering so many different healthy rhythms, but these rhythms weren't done by themselves. These rhythms weren't done by a person in their closet. These rhythms weren't uh, done by people um, trying to live lives by themselves, but they lived life together. And our hope and our goal is to look at what life looks like being built strong together because there's a strength to living like this, right? In a couple of weeks, you'll start to see geese flying down south. Uh, it's not just cold enough just yet, but in a couple of weeks, you'll start to see geese flying south. And one of the things that you'll notice is that geese fly in a V formation. 
And the reason they do this is because they can fly about 70% longer and stronger together than they can by themselves. That there's uh, uh, something that uplifts them and keeps them strong and keeps them together when they are flying in formation and not by themselves. So we see that even if we could have the sense of a, of a goose, we might be able to stay up floater, floating and, and, and flying longer and stronger. Listen, there's about a thousand different things that can get in your way for, from us living together in community, a thousand different things that can get in our way for us growing spiritually. But I, I think the one that we're going to really dig into today is this. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And there's so much going on in our lives that you and I are not able to really dig into community. We don't have the space. We don't have the margin, as we'll see, uh, to, to live our lives intentionally together because we don't have any space. And let, let me step off my high horse for a second and say that Jordan Rice is preaching to himself this morning. So if I start yelling, then know that I'm yelling at myself. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says it like this. Be sober, uh, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the, your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you look at the way lions hunt, uh, essentially lions hunt like this. They, they try to startle the pack of gazelle or whatever animal it is they're hunting. And they go after hundreds and hundreds of animals and they look for the one that goes away by itself. And that's the one that they corner and kill. And scripture tells us that your enemy prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that sounds a little intense, but uh, the, the notion of the scripture is this. You and I are stronger together. You and I can go farther together than we can ever go by ourselves. And one of the things that pushes out our, our ability to be able to plug in to community, our ability to, our ability to plug in to living life with one another, is that we just don't have any margin whatsoever. So you see the scripture uh, that Santiago just read, 1 Corinthians 11, 33, and we're going to get to some of the communion stuff uh, at the end, but verses 33 and 34 says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about other things. I will give directions when I come. Now, here's what Paul is assuming about my life, and here's what Paul is assuming about your life, that you and I have the margin in our schedules. You and I have the margin in our lives. We have the space in our lives to be able to wait for one another, that your life isn't so jammed up with meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, that your calendar doesn't look, you know, uh, just like a color-coded, uh, like somebody vomited color-coded Google calendar all over the place, and that your life is lived with no margin whatsoever, so you couldn't ever slow down to plug in and to be in community. Because if there's something that's at the very heart of our struggle to line, to get in line and to plan ourselves in a healthy rhythm of community, it's that we just don't have enough time. And the Paul, Apostle Paul here has a couple commands for this Christian community, and he commands them that the, what they need to do to connect to God. Listen, don't do it by yourself. If you get there and, you know, you're ready to take communion by yourself and shake out because you have another, you have a 7.30 meeting, you have brunch after this, you got movie plans, you got dinner plans, he says, no, 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 don't do that. This is not about you by yourself. This is about y'all. And in order for us to be built strong, we have to get in healthy rhythms, and that only comes in community. So he tells them, hey, when you come together to eat, don't just sit down and get what you need for yourself and then peace out. Wait for one another. And our walk with God is a community project. In order for us to develop and to nurture that walk, we first need to make space because truth be told, a lot of us don't have any space whatsoever to do anything else because we're so jam-packed. 
Now, some of you guys are in a really busy season in life. You might have just had a kid, or you might have started a new job, or it could be any number of unexpected things that came up that have pushed your life to the limits. But here's the thing. Listen, even if something just pushed your life to those limits, we can't ever live like that's okay. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show Hoarders on TLC, right? You guys watch that show Hoarders? Uh, there was this one episode about this guy that was hoarding protein shake bottles, like meal replacement bottles. And this guy had meal replacement bottles stacked up to his kneecaps, right? A, this guy must really be into getting his protein. I don't know if he's training for something or, or whatever he's doing. But there was no room in his house to move around, so much so that he actually broke his foot uh, stepping over one of the protein bottles because there was no room to operate. And here's the thing. A lot of our lives look like that. A lot of your schedules look like that. A lot of our weeks look like that, where things are piled up so high that there's no room to operate. There's no room to move. So this scripture that Paul is talking about today, hey, wait for one another, it's an impossibility because you can't wait for anybody when your life is jammed to the limit. We got to have some breathing room. So now, uh, you know, listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm preaching to myself. Uh, I want to define breathing room real quick for what we're talking about. Uh, breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits. Breathing room is a space between our current pace, how fast you're living your life, and what your limitations are. Hey, how, how fast are you living your life right now? How much stuff do you have going on? And let, let me ask a better question. What do you think your limits are? How much margin do we have in between your limits and your pace? Is it enough that you have a room to, to fit in things, room to fit in people and relationships? Because here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, or heard of the analogy about a bucket, and you, have, you can have big rocks, medium-sized rocks, small rocks, and sand. Now, in order to fit everything in, you got to put the big rocks in first. Then you can put in the medium-sized rocks. Then you can put in the small rocks. Then you can put in the sand. And it, here's a big rock. Here's a boulder in your life, you being rooted in Christian community. And oftentimes, we put in uh, the, the medium-sized rocks and the sand and all of the ancillary things and all of the things on the side, and we have no time and no room to fit in the biggest things. Our lives are better lived with breathing room. Now, to become a Jesus follower, to, to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn how to live our lives at a sustainable pace. Because there's a couple of things that happen uh, in your life when you don't have any breathing room. The number one thing is stress. You guys know that feeling when you were like, I got, I got to be in Brooklyn at like 1.30, and if I don't catch every train, if I don't catch the express train right on time, I'm not going to be on the meeting in time. And you're running to the train, you're pushing old ladies out the way, and you're running down the stairs, and you finally catch that express train, and you're like, yes, I might finally make the train. I might finally make my meeting. And you sit down, and then what happens? Train traffic. And you're saying some words inside your head that I can't repeat from this stage. Listen, and the first thing that goes up and up and up and up is stress. You don't have any space in your life to think about anything else because you're stressed about uh, what's, what you're going to miss, what you're missing out on, because we don't have any breathing room. We don't have any margin. And listen, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Another thing that happens is uh, we lose focus. Now, right now, I'm about three feet from the stage, and if the closer I walk to the stage, the more I have to focus on the edge. And the closer I get to the edge, the less I can concentrate on anything else going on out there. And listen, a lot of us, the way we're living our lives, it's so close to the edge that we can't focus on anything else going on around us. That there's no space in between our pace and our limitations. 
And we're living life on this edge, and we're, a- we're not able to focus on anything. So we got to have breathing room. Because the devil, if he can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Now, this brings us to a really great question, right? Why do we do this? Right? You guys ever get into a situation, and you're saying, like, yo, why did I do that again? Like, why did I load my schedule up that much again? Why did I uh, uh, schedule this thing back to back to back to back? Why did I agree to that dinner? Why did I agree to do this? Why did I sell that person, yes, I would do this? I think it's a couple of things. A, I think we get distracted really easily. And B, uh, the thing that you guys might start arguing with me in your head a little bit is, I think it's rooted in fear. I think there's a couple of fears behind the scenes of why we're so busy and a couple of fears behind the scene of why we don't have any margin in our schedules. The first fear is, is listen, not being in control, especially from my type A personalities in the room, right? God forbid it's not you that does it the exact way that you want to do it. <laughs> Right? And if you're not in control, this beautiful vision you have for whatever it is uh, is not going to come to pass. And nobody else can do it because you're special. And listen, if you don't have the control of the situation, if you can't micromanage every single detail, it's not going to turn out right. In a lot of ways, we, we, we overload our schedule because we're trying to hold on to control that we don't even have. See, tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. This next moment is not promised to any one of us. We can hold on to the illusion of control all we want, but we don't have any. Another fear that we have is not measuring up. Now, this goes back to what I talked about in the comparison trap a couple of months ago. Uh, listen, one of the easiest things we can do, uh, one of the most uh, distracting things we can do is we can compare our day-to-day life with somebody else's highlight reel. And when we do that, we're thinking, oh, man, they are killing it. They are doing it all. Man, they are traveling. They're buying houses. They are, you know, they're, they're living life perfectly. They have a perfect relationship. And we start to throw so much stuff on our calendar just, just trying to k- keep up with people, try to keep up with the Joneses, and try to live at a pace that we couldn't even afford to live at because we're comparing ourselves to other people. And we get our cues not from uh, what we should be doing, not from how we should be living our lives, but based on what everybody else is doing. So we figure, hey, we, we must have to do everything else. In New York City, one of the probably, if not the, the, the start of almost every single conversation I have, and I've had it with about 90% of you in the room that I've talked to before is, this is the way we start our conversations. Yeah, man, I'm busy, man, like so busy. Last week was so crazy. Man, you, you have never, man, you ain't never been that busy in your life. And it's like a five-minute duel of trying to out-busy each other. Like, I'm busy, are you busy? Wait, wait. Ah, I got him, you're busy. And, and, and we live our lives uh, with this fear of not measuring up, that if we're not busy somehow, we don't matter. It's a fear we have of, of not mattering. Now, listen, if you don't get invited to that thing, if that person doesn't hit you back, listen, we have this, this deep fear that we don't matter. Tim Crydell of the New York Times said it like this, busyness serves as a kind of reassurance. It's a way for us to hedge against emptiness. We think that obviously our lives can't possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if we're so busy. Completely booked in demand every hour of the day. Listen, if I were to ask you, hey, who are you? What's the first thing that comes to mind? If I were to ask you about your dreams and your hopes, and listen, what are the things that come up to mind? In a lot of ways, we have these fears of not being in control because we fear that the direction of our lives won't go the way we want it to, or, or, or not measuring up, or not mattering, because deep down inside, we're not believing the gospel. Now, we've defined the gospel here at Renaissance, and you guys could probably spit it out for those of you who are uh, weekly attenders. 
is the gospel is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Let me say that again. Unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. See, in all of this people-pleasing and perfectionism and trying to measure up and trying to make ourselves look more important than we really are and loading our schedules up with so many different things and trying to have control over every situation is deep down inside, we don't believe that there's a God that loves us, that is sovereign over our lives, that is in control over our lives, and that is with us and is for us, and we matter to him. So whether or not your phone is blowing up through the roof or nobody hits you up, you are of uh, ultimate value. And deep down inside, we have these fears, these nagging thoughts in the back of our head. And if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So we have these fears in our head that are playing out, and then we start to load our schedules up and up and up and up. And there's no space in between our pace and our limitations. But we have a couple reassurances from Scripture. Galatians 4 and 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are God's child, God has also made you an heir. Here's what Paul is saying in the scripture. Once upon a time uh, in, the, in the children of, his, uh, of Israel, in their history, their entire value was working as Egyptian slaves. And as an Egyptian slave, the only thing that matters was how many bricks you produced that day. If this day you produce 600 bricks, congratulations, you're, you're, you're worth only what you produce. And here's what Paul is saying. You are no longer a slave, but an heir. For everybody who has placed their faith in Christ, listen, your value is not based on what you do anymore at all. But the, the value of an heir is based off of the one who died and left something to you. An heir, listen, if you inherit an estate from somebody, it won't be because of how good you are. It won't be how great you can read. All that's going to happen is some lawyer is going to pull out the will at a probate session and say, hey, this was left to you. And you have this great inheritance, not because of anything you've done, but because of what was left to you. Now, a lot of us have this mentality still. I have this mentality. I have to fight against it almost every single day that our value is linked to how much we produce. Our value is linked to how invited we are into every single circle. Our value is linked directly into us being busy and, and feeling like we matter. But listen, when we believe those lies, the first thing that goes is our ability to have breathing room to wait for one another, to be in community and to give adequate time and, uh, and, and to quiet the pressures that we have all around us to do more and to do more and to do more. And the one thing that we really need to do, the one thing that we really need as a reminder for who we are, to remind us that we're no longer slaves but heirs in community, we don't get that reminder because we're flying solo, because we're missing out on opportunities to plug in. Now, God has built this rhythm of, of breathing room into our lives, and you see it in the, in the Old Testament, something called a Sabbath. Uh, God told the children of Israel, listen, you can work six days a week. You can work as much as you want. Hey, but that seventh day, don't work. Just trust me. And the reason God put that rhythm in place, and this was a really dangerous thing with no refrigerators, right? Kenmore didn't come around until at least a couple of years after Moses was living, right? <laughs> and the reason God did this was to say, hey, listen, 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 trust me. I'm your deliverer. I took you up out of Egypt, yo. I can provide for you on the other side of the river. And I, and I think God wants us, you and me, to plug into this rhythmic behavior where we are reminded that it's not about how much you produce, but it's all about us as, as sons, as heirs, as daughters of God. Hey, and in the New Testament, you see uh, something called communion, uh, and it's a reminder uh, to us. It's God's declaration to us. It's Jesus' declaration to us of who he is in our lives. 
And Jesus comes and he says, you know, here's this bread that represents my body that is broken for you. And here's this wine or grape juice, if you're a Baptist, that's poured out for you, for your sins. Listen, and and this is what communion is getting at. You matter. I'm in control. I entered into history through the person of Jesus Christ to, to go to the cross, to give the statement that I am in control. And when Jesus raised from the dead, it's a, it's a statement to you and me that we can trust God, that we can trust God that he is in control, he is sovereign, he's in control of everything going on, and we don't have to fear not mattering or, or not measuring up, because the one who matters the most measured up for us. In this scripture that Santiago read, uh, Paul gives a couple of warnings. Uh, he says, for I received of the Lord what was also delivered to you. That when Jesus took the bread and he, he gave thanks, he broke it and says, this is my body, which is for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here, here's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were just eating and taking communion any old type of way. They were coming around, they were rushing through it, they were uh, getting, you know, getting nice on, 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 the, on the communion wine, and they weren't honoring it at all. And Paul warns them about not examining themselves before they went to the communion table. Hey, and before we take communion today, I want us to spend some time examining ourselves. What is it that you're putting your hope in for you to matter? What is it that you're putting your hope in for you to measure up? What is it that you're putting your hope in to feel important? What is it you're putting your ultimate hope in? And before we come up and, uh, and take communion, I want us to also keep one eye on what we're putting our hope in and also another eye on our schedules and the rhythm of our lives. Hey, are we making space? Are we determined to commit to, to make space, to be reminded of who God is, to be built strong the right way? Because it's not going to happen any other way. I was reading through... Uh, a couple of books, and and I found a confession that I want us uh, to to take together. And we're going to take communion in a little bit, and communion is a a 2,000-year-old ritual for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, uh, that this, we come to the table knowing that we are fully loved and fully accepted in Jesus. And listen, if you are new to church and you're new to Christianity and you don't know where you stand with you and God, listen, we would ask that you to stay in your seat. Don't feel pressure because everybody else around you is getting up. You would just stay in your seat and to reflect on who God is. But even if today is that day that you're making that declaration to yourself, we would invite you uh, to this table. But before we do that, you know what? I want us to enter into a time of reflection and self-examination. So if you will, stand with me, and we're going to read this confession. Lord, We confess the busyness of our schedules that leave only leftovers for you. Give us the courage to push away busyness, helping us find our true identity in you. We confess our half-hearted devotion that leaves us with an unsatisfied relationship with you. We confess that uh, the fears that we secretly carry that cripple us in so many ways. We confess that we are easily distracted by the next important thing. We think about yesterday and tomorrow, but not today. 
sisters and brothers in Christ, let us proclaim the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, reconciled, loved, and changed. Amen. Thank you for being the friend who will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for being our teacher, showing us the way we should go. Thank you for being our protector, helping us stand firm in you. Thank you for being our savior, rescuing us from the chains of our sins.